Welcome back to the Good Energy Healing Show. This is Hillary Crowley. Delighted to be here again. This time today, I am actually interviewing. I've got my good buddy with me and somebody who I deeply admire and respect. Uh, welcome back, Dr. Kitty Fallon. Thanks so much, Hillary. It's great to be back. Hey, you noticed the last time I interviewed you, I did a big and I loved it. I did a big introduction and so forth. But um, today, in the name of being a little bit more familiar, since the audience has already heard a great podcast we did together, um, can I just like quickly ask you to tell everybody the doc- when we talk about Dr. Kitty Fallon, what is it a doctor of? What are you doctor of? Sure. I have a PhD in counseling and counselor education and was a counselor educator for over 10 years and currently I'm practicing as a life coach. Nice, nice. And do you still use your PhD in the life coaching? I know that's a silly question, but you know, in the life coaching, are you more of an educator now or are you are you is it more of counseling? I think everything I've ever learned comes into play every day. Uh, Certainly the depth of listening that I learned in counseling, the presence, uh, the empathy, and the real uh, desire to be with someone wherever they are is certainly grounded by my counseling. And I incorporate that differently as a life coach. I love that. I I felt that I was... um... You know, I was doing my homework and I listened to our podcast last night that we did together. And I did feel that, that you do have this presence about you where, and I like to think I have it, but I, you really have it where you really talk about meeting people where they are and you also meet yourself where you are. So there's this high self-awareness, which was a little bit I talked about on my last podcast the other day. Um, So I just would say, like, you bring people, do you help people with self-awareness? Because that's a real big theme lately. I think I do, because for someone to pursue work in coaching, uh, or in my previous work in counseling, the first step of that, even just to make a call or send me an email, is an act of self-awareness. It's an act of saying, where I am now, I'm, I would prefer to be someplace different. And I am seeking out and choosing to, for someone to go on that journey with me. And that in and of itself is an act of self-awareness. And that happens before I ever meet them. Huh. So the opposite of self-awareness would be, I they don't know where I am. They, they, would never reach, they would never reach out. Ah, oh, so it self-selects that you get the phone call from the people who are in the process of growing their self-awareness. Yes, the work that I used to do many years ago in counseling and community mental health, um, the vast majority of my clients did not self-select. They were ordered to see me. And there is a really major difference. Um, In those cases, there wasn't an awful lot of self-awareness and a tremendous amount of denial and self-protection that I can understand. I'm just like, oh man, what does it mean to be, I don't know who I feel worse for, you or the person who's been ordered, you know, to sit in with somebody who's going to be nothing but present, you know, and isn't ready to be with the likes of you. 
Um, that must have been really hard for both of you. Did you acknowledge that nobody, you know, yes. that, that there was you did you always acknowledge that? Yes. And the magic moments that I remember, and this is now going back over 20 years now, there were a few magic moments when someone uh, came to me, not of their own free will, but because of a court order. And frankly, it was their free will in the sense that they chose to follow through with the court order. So I give them credit for that. But their resistance was high, their defensiveness was high. And really, I can understand that part of learning how to be present with someone is learning how to be present with someone who's very guarded and very walled up. And to truly empathically understand the benefits of those walls and how they were formed and the wisdom of those walls. And then those magic moments came when, with tremendous courage, um, they were willing to dismantle those walls brick by brick. And that, I'm still, I have one client in mind where that happened and the work we did was amazing. Mm. How long did it take for those walls to come down? <laughs> well, I worked with her um, probably over a year, definitely. And I can't quite recall the total time, but it was maybe a year and a half, almost approaching two years. And I think there was something that she must have picked up pretty quickly in working with me that this person was a safe person to at least be in the same room with. And so the chipping away might have begun like with a very dull nail file in the beginning but then mm -hmm. she took such courage and began really dismantling those 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 bricks um probably several months into our work together and she really did well i'm sticking with your metaphor for a second um when you're dismantling the bricks i guess i'm becoming a little bit more of a visual visual person in my life, where do those bricks go? Do they, do they, do you take them? Do they go into the garbage? Like, that's a great question. And I want to say that there is wisdom in those bricks. And I'm thinking of the great um, thing that quantum physics and has taught us that energy is neither created nor destroyed, but it's transformed. And I think those bricks may have softened. And she began to carry them with her as wisdom instead of as walls. Mm -hmm. Okay, well, I'm glad I asked that question because that was an awesome answer. <laughs> Ooh, feeling a lot right there. Um, so um, I really want to. I got to. I got to pick. I, I feel like I've got like a gold mine on this podcast with you right now. Um, and I'm sorry if I'm putting you on the spot, um, but have you? been have you caught up with this language that's been kind of circulating around out there about the growth mindset i have not picked up the specifics of that but i can imagine what it is but if you want to fill me in as far as what you understand it i'll see if that resonates with what i'm imagining well you were kind of, you kind of brought it to my imagination because i thought about how your um I, I was I was imagining you in front of a classroom and sometimes students in a class are also they're not court ordered, but there's a bit of a, you know, you got to get your credits and you got to be in a classroom and you've got to 
uh, open yourself up to learning. And so the, the growth mindset is saying um, things like, um, even though this isn't easy, I, I'm doing it anyway. Um, I don't have a, the way I've always done things doesn't mean the way I have to do it in the future. Um, so the rigid mindset is I've already determined what my limitations are and that's where I'm going to, you know, sit my, you know, sit for the rest of my life. And I would say to, to nutshell the growth mindset, it's to say that, um, I may not be exactly where I want to be, but I know that change is constant and I embrace that change is constant. Um, so things like mistakes are gifts. Um, we already had a mistake, didn't we? Today we started our podcast, folks. We started our podcast, and like I forgot to unmute the button, and it turned out it was wonderful. So this is the magical mindset, the magic that adds to the mindset. So I was relaxed. You were relaxed. Thank you for being so gracious about that, Kitty. It was perfect. Um, the mistake worked out perfectly. So I yes, Hillary, I would say that. Although the growth mindset, if there's a, a, an amount of literature that's out there, I may have even read some of it without realizing that verbiage. But yes, I am not only familiar with it, but I have lived it from the inside out. Right, right, right. Yeah, I mean, I, I, that, I took a phone call from Princeton University that I'd been waiting like a whole day for. And in the one glitchy moment, it turned out to be the unglitch. And that just reinforces my growth mindset, like, let's just trust and move forward. And it's for the little kids, it's for the university students, and it's for the adults. Um, so because that's what I that's what I think about so often with you is that you you embody, I was going to say, maybe you haven't read it, because you wrote it, you embody the growth mindset. So um, listen, the, the, the name of the um, podcast today is from the breakdown lane to the carpool lane. I read an article that you wrote and I really fell in love with the idea of the carpool lane. Um, I really did. I was just like, we should all be in the carpool lane. And that's what you were talking about. But I loved how you articulated it as like, not the fast lane, not the slow lane, but the breakdown lane is what got you to the carpool lane. Um, and I was just wondering if you could um, talk to me a little bit about where you were at in the breakdown lane and where we're going, because I want to be in that carpool with you. So, <laughs> yeah. So, so breakdown lane to the carpool lane. Um, what does that journey look like? Well, the journey probably started realistically not long after our podcast, the first one, and I am completely um, aware that it had nothing, my breakdown lane had nothing to do with the first podcast. I just want to make that very clear. Um, the breakdown lane was about a nine-month process that really began with the kind of acceptance, the full acceptance that I had reached a point, um, if folks had listened to the first podcast, you'd know that I've been living with multiple sclerosis for, uh, well, at least almost 20 years, but more than likely almost um, 30 years um, without knowing it. And 
I had really fought for about four years the idea that I couldn't just live with it and keep going uh, with the status quo, uh, which meant working full time. And um, so when I had left my last teaching position in New York and moved out to Santa Fe, I kept with the assumption that, well, I'm just simply moving out of academia, going to start a full-time private practice, and we'll simply go to work full-time and and we'll create a new direction. And after four years of that, I realized I have never been able to work full-time since leaving academia. And um, I fought that for a long time, but I finally realized it. And the breakdown lane began with an awful lot of things came together at once. So the realization that I couldn't work full-time, I didn't have the energy to, I was losing significantly my ability to be mobile. Um, I was walking with a walker at that point, and we lived in a home in Santa Fe that we had just bought. We loved it, but it had stairs in it. And my partner realized that my walking days were probably numbered even before I did. So we very quickly sold our house. Mercifully, we bought another one and on one floor. And so we lost the home we loved, the home we planned to age for the rest of our lives in. I lost um, my career, my identity as a full-time worker, counselor, life coach. And then I went on to disability and fortunately was able to be awarded disability fairly efficiently on the first try. And then once we got into the new house, synchronistically, within a month of being in the new house, um, I was in a wheelchair and have been in a wheelchair for over a year now. So there were multiple losses all at once. And that really led to the breakdown lane. That led to just the real grief of losing my mobility. Um, I had already really lost the use of my hands, um, fine motor dexterity, things like that, the ability to write with my hands, type easily. And so I really sank into the grief of those multiple losses and sat there for about nine months. And it wasn't pretty. It was, it was pretty stinky. How was your partner who had decided to move? Was there relief to get you on one floor? There was definitely relief to get me on one floor. I am, I thank her to this day. I'm like, you saw it. I wasn't willing to see it, but you saw it. And I mean, we literally left a house that I would have been trapped in in a matter of four weeks. Um, it, it couldn't have been um, better timed. And she was amazing. She could definitely see that this was not a happy time for me. And she stuck with it. And um, But then that, that increased the burden for her. She became the primary breadwinner, um, which in starting a new business, which we started now five years ago, she is feeling the pressure of bringing in the bulk of the income. I get a very small monthly income through Social Security and I'm limited because of social security as to what I'm allowed to earn um, without losing that. So really that keeps me at a very um, subsistence level income. I'm grateful for it, but it limits what I can do. And she has 
risen to the challenge and in the midst of it finished and earned her doctorate as well. Oh, so she's, she's been a trooper. Yeah, that's fantastic. And so, so I'm hearing all this and so I'm feeling you on a, uh, a breakdown lane that looks like you got, you got somebody there who's, you know, you got your hazards on and you've got a friend <laughs> partner, you know, who's standing she, by you life partner. She definitely stood by me, but it really felt when I was in the breakdown lane that it was, even though I knew she was there it, it felt like a very solitary experience but I will say that it, it was also important. I needed the breakdown lane for a while. I needed to just accept what had happened and um, experience losing myself so that I could come to the point where I realized that I always knew that I was responsible and created my own existence and I had really created nine months of an existence that I didn't prefer. Um, I ate crappy things. I put on weight. I watched an inordinate amount of TV. I might shower a few times a week, which is not like me. And um, I literally existed in that kind of, um, well, that breakdownness, that that not moving forward in life. And when I stepped outside myself and realized, well, I've created that, and then asked myself, um, is that what you prefer? Do you prefer that or would you prefer something different? And that asking needs to happen. This is something that I think each person goes through, is you need to ask it without judgment or without criticism or without blaming and really beating myself up for the last nine months. But it was just asked with a lot of compassion. Is that what you prefer? If you prefer it, okay. Um, hmm. But I realized that that life in the breakdown lane isn't what I would prefer. And that's really when I began to create something different. Um, okay. Well, I don't know if you're noticing, but you keep saying nine months. And we know that's synonymous yes. with the gestation period, right? Yes, I've never had children, but I gave birth to a breakdown lane. <laughs> yeah, or to yourself, right? The rebirth. The, that is true. Yeah, there's something about nine months. It's not quite a year, but it's a nice long time. It's three quarters of the seasons. Um, and actually, when I began to emerge from the breakdown lane um, was around my birthday. So, uh, and it was my 49th birthday. So I really do look at that as perhaps more accurately um, the beginnings of, of giving birth to the carpool lane. So, seven, times seven. That's an important year. That's mm -hmm. it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So what happened on your birthday? Well, you know, nothing extraordinarily um, significant happened on my birthday, but, um, and that's okay. But I really, what I began to experience around that time was a lightening, um, the heaviness, uh, the anger, the depression, the, uh, feeling sorry for myself, um, feeling very, uh, uh, kind of testy and aggravated with any, anybody and everybody that all began to lift and um, a lightening is what I can best describe. 
And then I can really see myself beginning to move forward. And that's the beginning of the creation and needing to do so differently than I had in the past without those expectations of what it had to look like, um, the way that it must go. I, I did so with the acceptance that, well, I may not walk again. I may be rolling for the rest of my life. I may not, but I might be. And so not kind of putting myself in that rigid mindset, like you had said, but keeping things much more fluid and open. And that began around the time of my birthday. Yeah. Birth, birthday. And, um, so well, I kind of, I know, I kind of like the idea of you rolling out of the breakdown lane and rolling <laughs> into the carpool lane, um, on the wheels, the circle, those the circles of life, right? That's right. So, what is the what does the carpool lane look like? The carpool lane is the image that I have within me that first of all, we are not alone. Um, we are. In this journey of life together, we are interconnected, we are interdependent. And the I when I re-engaged with the kind of work that I wanted to do, I began to then imagine not just me in my work doing it, but I began to imagine the others who are in the car with me, the other people who are living their journeys. And um, that began to be very exciting. And so whether or not my story is of any use to them, that's great. But helping people get in touch with their story and then beginning to not just move out of the car, the, the breakdown lane potentially together from other people's own breakdown lanes. But being in a carpool lane is when you're actually going somewhere together. I was going to say that, Kitty. I was like, well, let's, if you're re really talking about carpool, we all agree that we want the same destination, or at least the destinations are close by to each other. Yes. And well, so I really began to feel connected to our broader shared story. And that took me even beyond the potential clients who I might have. Um, whether they be individuals or groups or organizations, but even beyond that, to the world at large, to our country and to the world at large, and that we are in this carpool lane, let's go somewhere together. Let's create a reality that we would prefer rather than perhaps ones in which we feel stuck. Did you pick everybody up from the breakdown lane? <laughs> Well, you know, I think that I pulled out of the breakdown lane myself um, and magically folks began appearing in this ridiculously large vehicle. Um, <laughs> and how, how they got there, I may not know that until I meet them. Okay. Um, but certainly when I look at, when I look at, for example, our, our country in which we are living at this point in time, um, there are an awful lot of people who have been born in the breakdown lane, people who have experienced systemic and structural oppression and racism and othering, whether that's because of their gender, their race, their ethnicity, their sexual orientation, 
um, their gender identity, it doesn't matter if they have experienced othering, then they may have, whether born or at some point in their lives, um, come into that breakdown lane without any desire of doing that themselves. And so part of my interest is in systemic change as well as change within ourselves and then meeting in the middle, meeting where systemic change and structural change meets individual change. And that's where I think the transformation can happen. Okay, 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 okay. I'm backing you up. I'm backing you up because I like words and my listeners know I like words. What's this othering? Did you make that word up? Is that urban? No, no, I didn't. It's it's part of. Um, I think it. it's part of like a, a um, sociology or or a cultural or even political language. It's it's really when um, it's from other, my from my other. limited from my limited knowledge of of neurology. It's it's when I really sit in my left brain and that part of our brain is what distinguishes this from that. Um, this, not that I am me, you are you, we are different. It's the part of our brain that sees difference. And so when we other someone, it basically says you are less than you are somehow not, um, ideal or optimal because of where you come from, your gender, your uh, socioeconomic status, whatever. And we make someone less than, and we begin to dehumanize them. And that places somebody in the breakdown lane, whether they want to be there or not. All right. So, so here's my question to you. I did listen to our podcast recently, the last one. You seem serious. You seem like you've got more, a little bit more weight in your voice. So talk to me more about this destination that you're, that you're, you're, you're bringing, you're bringing others along to. And what's the opposite of othering? Because I would imagine that would be what the destination is too. I think, um, well, twofold. First of all, the opposite of othering is when I sit in my right hemisphere of my brain. And it's when all I see is oneness. It is when you and I are one. And when the world in which we live, the sky, the water, the trees, uh, the crops, the soil, uh, the flowers, the birds, the bees, when we are all one, When um, at that point, that is when compassion blossoms in a way that um, is like the most brilliant sunrise you've ever seen. And the destination that I'm seeing right now is a destination that I think we are hungry for as a humanity, as as a shared um, multi-species on the earth we're hungry for creating new possibilities that recognize oneness, collaboration, not competition, um, that recognizes that each one of us brings something within that carpool lane that without that something that each one of us brings, the possibilities and potentials would be somehow not quite as rich. And so therefore, 
that oneness inspires me to value each and every life as precious, um, as full of potential, and as so necessary for us to get to where we want to go. So um, I'm feeling like there's like a playlist for this carpool. <laughs> but, um, there's some good tunes playing and you're picking people up who have been marginalized or othered um, and uh, or not They're, They jumped in. So I think, I think they jumped in. I think that they might even be driving and you jumped. In. <laughs> it could very well be the case. I think, the thing that resonates with me so much is the idea of equality and maybe understanding that um, if I pick somebody up, then somehow I'm doing something that they couldn't do themselves. Instead, we're going along this journey together. And if somebody, like when you're hiking and you need some assistance to get to the next piece of altitude that you're trying to reach, and somebody offers you a hand and you you gratefully take it, there's there's a sharedness in that. Um, but it's it's still very equal. Okay. Does that make sense? It does. It does make sense. And um, so I'm in New Hampshire. I know you're in Santa Fe. It might not have started for you yet, but we're like full into primary season up here. And um, there are so many conversations going on that nobody's used the term, the, you know, jumping into the carpool. But um, there are conversations going on from all walks of life. I have a, uh, a dear friend who is an enthusiastic uh, gun owner. And, you know, just everybody is looking for that oneness. And it's not, how do I put it? It's not nearly as cliche as the simple you know, um, dichotomy would, you know, the, the linear thinking would, would, would take you, you know, like, uh, a lot of people are wanting to be part of that oneness. And some of them are folks we would expect. And some of them are folks we wouldn't accept, expect. And some of the expectations are set based on our own predetermined, you know, life experiences. So I was checking out your Twitter feed. What's your Twitter feed again? It's at Dr. Kitty Fallon. So I was checking out your at Dr. Kitty Fallon, and you're kind of having some fun with Mayor Pete, who I think is really good about talking about oneness. He seems like really, I mean, I think it's just an interesting and exciting um, season, this campaign season. And I'll, I'll add my two cents to that. Like, I'm more interested in the rehearsal than showtime, meaning like I'm more interested in the conversations that are coming up in the process of campaigning than in the results at this point. And I'm not saying that in a naive uh, policy, you know, blind way, I get it, but I, I, I see the American experience and experiment playing out with this unprecedented amount of voices out there all talking to each other and all talking to us as the voters. Um, so, um, Mary Pete, is he in your, is he in your carpool? <laughs> I absolutely. He's oh, yeah. Absolutely. Okay. Um, yeah. And actually, as you've been talking, Hillary, I'm reminded of, of a 
a very unique experience that I'm having right now. First of all, I've never been as invested in a presidential campaign um, as I am right now. Um, I have the opportunity partially because I am not working full time right now. Um, so I am serving as a volunteer, a digital volunteer on the largest unofficial Facebook group supporting Pete in his campaign. And it's kind of like a hub and spoke system. So the, the group in which I'm a moderator, one of, of several, it would be the hub. And we have um, approaching 10,000 members right now. But then there are smaller, um, more some are more topical uh, Facebook groups. For example, we have Gen X, Gen Y, Gen Z. We have it by state. Um, then we also have topics like farmers um, for Pete, climate change advocates, um, uh, gosh, uh, criminal justice reform. But my favorite right now, we have African-Americans for Pete. I'm part of that group. And my favorite one right now is Republicans for Pete. Oh, neat. So that kind one of oneness piece. Yes. And one of the things that I've noticed, not just in the hub group, but in many, many of the spokes, is that amazingly in this virtual location, this Facebook location, people from all over the country and even all over the world, we have an, um, uh, we have a group for people who are not Americans and cannot vote, but are interested in the election. People are coming together, and I've been fascinated by the way in which we're coming together. And it is with an incredible amount of openness, of acceptance, of compassion, of a desire to understand perspectives. And so the Republicans for Pete, these are folks, some of whom voted for Trump in 2016, some of whom could not bring themselves to do that, but have felt very homeless um, and have very much resonated with who Pete is as a person and with his message. And so we have begun, folks who are Democrats and folks who are Republicans, to dissolve those labels and come together and connect in a way that as, as a broader culture, we had bound ourselves by our labels, by our um, left brain parts. You are our Republican, therefore I don't like you. You are not me. And instead we're coming together and we're learning from each other and we're doing it with a really soft heart. Did you um, ever have that? Were you ever um, othering other people, Kim? I really tried not to do that. Um, for example, a former student of mine from New York is an ardent Trump supporter, still is. And I said to her very early on in the campaign, I said, I will never unfriend you. I said, you and I have a friendship that transcends politics. And we don't talk a lot about politics. However, there's been that resting in what we share in common. Um, no, I tried not to do that because I've been othered and I don't like the feeling and I don't want to inflict that on somebody else. One of the other things I'm hearing as you're speaking is um, 
this is there's something without getting any deeper into the political pitch, which by the way, I think you just did a wonderful job. If anybody wants to check out Mayor Pete, I, I like a few other candidates, including him out there. So um, it doesn't, it, it's not hard to find uh, Mayor Pete.com, I think. Um, no, actually it's Pete for America.com. All right. See, there you go. You got your pitch. You got your pitch. Okay, good. Um, so, and, and I, I'm all about, I think he's fantastic and I think he's a fantastic wo- a voice out there. Um, and as I said, first in the nation, New Hampshire, I'm, I'm listening to this with both ears and, and, you know, my, 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 uh, my pen, pen in a hand. Um, but I want to also want to get back to, um, I can feel that there's a piece of this, this action that might be bringing us full circle to the healing for you. Is this helping you? It is. It it is in a couple of ways. So first, it's helping me to feel re-engaged again to something larger than myself. Um, it's, it's also helped me realize you had said earlier, you said, I hear you're more serious mm-hmm. and I, I do feel more serious and transcending the individual politics of what's going on. I very much am resonating with the poignancy of our time and my real desire, my very deep desire is to be of service in this poignant time. And the gifts that I have, which are to, the biggest gift that I have is is that I, I really have the ability to see within an individual person as well as within a group of people like a community or an organization. I can see the essence that is there that is oftentimes very clouded over um, and and people's ability to see that is oftentimes marred, whether it be by previous experiences or by stories they've told themselves or decisions they may have made. And my ability to see that essence, that possibility, that potential, and hold that vision for somebody when they aren't ready to hold it for themselves until that point in time where they take it themselves – and run with it. And I used to do this all the time with my students. Um, That is very necessary right now because I fully believe that every single person who is alive right now around the world and the people who will be born into this time or yet to be born are pivotal in this time, regardless of how broad their sphere of influence may be. And so I want to work with people to see their vision, to create their vision, and to run with it. Because if they do that, I have no idea the difference they're going to make, but I fully know they will. And we need everybody in this carpool lane right now going towards their own unique destinations to make the differences they need to make, whether it's someone who's in engineering or someone who's in caregiving or someone who's a teacher or someone who is working in, um, you know, carbon um, capturing in the soil, whatever it is they they are passionate about, their vision is, it's going to help. And I want to be a part of that, and I want to be of service. And so, yes, it's helped me to reconnect and to reach out and to say, I'm here and I want to help. Um, um, use me. You're, you're – um... 
you're reminding me of now I'm going to be a little bit heavier for a moment. Um, lots of the work that I do um, with the writing that I do and with the work with people with disease and the clients that I see, you're reminding me that the block and um, I'm going to just mention another candidate who is Marianne Williamson, who one of her whole platforms is um, addressing the trauma of of our collect our collective you know identity as a nation as a world um but not to be um you know not not to miss the trauma inside of each of us mm-hmm. and um what is it about the carpool lane that helps us heal trauma dr kitty what is it i think i think it's that that we know we're not alone Someone who's experienced trauma, even if they know in their head other people have had similar traumas, they still feel very isolated, very withdrawn. They other themselves, and they they withdraw themselves so often. Uh, They may punish themselves. And getting into that carpool lane is to say, first and foremost, you're not alone. But secondly, you have a place here. Bring your wisdom. Circling back all the way to my client we talked about at the beginning, those bricks she took down, they dissolved into something, they transformed into something that she could carry with her as wisdom. That trauma, once you're able to heal it, and sufficiently enough so that it doesn't direct and guide your days, but so that you can live with it, then you bring it with you as wisdom. And that is part of what will make a difference in our world. Ah, You know, I, I think about the survivors of the Parkland shooting, you know, they were traumatized and they needed time to heal sufficiently enough so that they could then guide us as a nation towards helping to move to a different place. And they're bringing their trauma with them. It's not blocked it's very much with them and they bring it in as in the form of wisdom. The other thing about the Parkland shooting though, to get technical with you is that um, they weren't othered before that. So um, the Parkland shooting happened in a place where um, the students uh, had facilities and they had training um, and they had um, for them to be, all of the sudden victims was new for them. And so they were able to say, it doesn't feel comfortable being here in this victim role. And they jumped back out rather than other more traumatized communities, more marginalized communities that suffer. They can't spring up the way Parkland can. Have you ever heard that theory before? Well, I would actually kind of lean back on that a little bit because um, I can definitely understand the idea of, of, and I myself had spent a tremendous amount of my life not being the recipient of care, but being the provider of care and being the teacher and being the person with an awful lot of resources at my disposal. Um, And so perhaps that gifted me with some resilience. But I would say that communities who have been born into, um, say, grew up in communities that were experiencing the effects of redlining, of um, 
inadequate access to services, good food, what's, uh, what's things like that. What's the effects of redlining? You know, I love words. Redlining, redlining is an old policy in the U.S. that basically drew red lines around neighborhoods and said people of color will he- live here and they will not live here. And mortgages were not given to people who wanted of color who wanted to live in a quote-unquote um, white neighborhood. And these services, the um, the opportunities of communities that were redlined, that, that were more marginalized, we are experiencing the effects of those today. Okay. And so I would I would lean back on that idea because the kinds of resiliency and courage and determination is still very much there. In fact, I think it's something that's virtually in the DNA. And so um, those folks are absolutely ready to jump on board and, and uh, climb right into to the carpool. Yeah, well, I appreciate you leaning back because that's why I asked the hard questions because I want even – even if it came out wrong, um, and, and my my question came out right or wrong, I appreciate the leaning back because, yeah, that opens me up and says, hmm, you know, how we communicate and how we perceive or how we nutshell things is not going to solve um, how we come together in the oneness. We we're going to solve it by being in in communication like this. What's the what's the next thing for you, Kitty? What's your where are where are you going on this beautiful on this beautiful road that we're following with you? That's a great question, Hillary, and I'm not entirely certain where the next thing will be for me. I am very much of a student of synchronicity, and so I put my voice out there literally like I'm putting it out here in the podcast, and I'm going to be putting my writing up on medium.com. Um, and I'll link it to the, the Facebook, which I think you'll be providing, uh, or not the Facebook, but our webpage, yep. which I think you'll be providing. Yep. But I want to do more writing. I want to basically engage with the world and see if the world writes back or calls me back and says, said, we need you here. We can use you there. We, um, you know, whether it's individuals calling to say, I think I have a vision inside me and I want to cultivate it, but I need someone to walk with me through that. Or in my case, roll with them through that. Um, Then I want to do that. Um, And so I don't know what is entirely next, but I know I want to take this engagement and this connection and cultivate it and put it out there. And I believe the universe will reach back and say, yes, we need your help here or there. Um, and so one of the concrete ways that I would love to do that is by bringing back some of my restorative justice training, um, and working with, uh, communities or with groups of people who are wanting to heal those divisions, say of, uh, where the deep wounds of racism, um, or political divisions or whatever, wherever there's been division, mistrust, separation, and where communities want to begin to heal that. Um, I really experienced the wisdom of the notion that wounding happens in relationship and healing happens in relationship. And so if I have skills or abilities to work with individuals or groups to really help heal the divisions that have been cultivated by our left brains and, and really nurture 
a more integrated right brain so that we can begin to see oneness. I think that that could be where my gifts could, could be of use. I want to be of service. So do you feel, uh, do you feel like the struggles that you've had, um, uh, physically, um, the things that put you in the breakdown lane, even you know, emotionally, has that fortified your desire to be of service? I've always loved being of service. I really have. It's, it's deepened. Um, I think I'm a lot wiser as a human being, not because of, of a ton of things that I've read, although that's part of it, but living in the breakdown lane, living with somebody who had an awful lot of abilities in my body, being an athlete, being someone who could type really fast, write really well, um, draw these amazing concept maps of ideas and things, losing all of that. Um, I, w- I wouldn't trade it. it. It is my life. And I want to use that now in service. I think the, that, that year of, or nine months of being in a breakdown lane was a very powerful teacher. And my whole illness has been a teacher. And I want to use that, bring that with me along with everything else I've learned from my clients and my students and my own learning and put it all together and be of service. Kitty, Dr. Kitty Fallon, I have absolutely loved this conversation. I promise I will be linking everything on my webpage so that you can find Dr. Kitty Fallon in Santa Fe. And you, she might be in Santa Fe, but she might be traveling across the world in the carpool lane. <laughs> <laughs> well, and actually, be, because of my illness, I only do coaching now because I can do that with anybody around the world. So I do that um, by video, and it, it enables me to work with my my limited energy. So I know. thank I know. you, Hillary. You have amazing impact. I, I know from some of the clients that have worked with you that you are incredibly impactful. I appreciate you taking the better part of an hour out to talk to us and to um, check in at this beautiful time in American history um, and that your uh, part of it uh, brings me up and inspires me to, um, you know, celebrate uh, this, this beautiful carpool. I guess we were, we're all in, we're, we're, we're going to need a bigger van. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's the beauty of it. It's, it's, there, there are no limits on it, nor does it use a lot of gas. But Hillary, thank you so much. Your, your energy is so light, so positive, so full of possibility and potential. And thank you for sharing that with the world. And thank you for sharing that with me. Okay, well, thank you so much. Uh, I hope you have a wonderful time. I think there's a gloaming about to happen sometime in a, in a few hours over at Santa Fe, right? Enjoy that. Well, we're we're a couple of hours behind you, so you'll have it first. I will have it first. I'll let you know how it goes. Um, Thanks, everyone, for joining us on the Good Energy Healing Show. We are on iTunes now, so subscribe and like and rate if you can. Thumbs up to all of you out there, and uh, take care. Have a beautiful day. Thanks, Dr. Kitty Fallon, and we'll catch you on the other side.